This is The Lydia Project, Conversations with Christian Women. Our name is inspired by the life-changing conversation that Lydia had with Paul, recorded in Acts 16. On this podcast, you'll hear from a variety of women whose lives have also been impacted by the truth of the gospel. Your hosts, Tori Walker and Taryn Hayes, hope that you too will be challenged and inspired by how the gospel truths are being worked out in the lives of their guests, ordinary women who serve an extraordinary God. Today, your host is Taryn Hayes. Hi everyone, it's Taryn here. Today's episode was recorded some time ago on a trip to South Africa. My guest is Sophie DeVitt, and she's going to share with us her story of coming to know Jesus as a uni student, and then all the things that have happened in her life since then, which are quite phenomenal. Her journey has included not just moving from the United Kingdom to South Africa, but also starting a school, an adoption process, starting a church, writing some books. It sounds like so much, and yet she really speaks to the heart of what many of us struggle with. You know, things like contentment and comparison, fear, courage. I really found her story encouraging and I hope that you will too. And as you hear the outro, the music at the end, just hang around for a little bit because Tori has something she'd love to share with you about the Grow Women's Conference. Sophie, welcome to the Lydia Project. Thanks, Taryn. It's lovely to join you and it's a privilege to be asked to share you're the wife to Chris and the mum to three gorgeous children. Can you tell us a little bit more about your family? I am married to a South African. I'm um, English and we met in England and we've been here now. So Chris was from Joburg, but we moved to Cape Town for him to study at George Whitfield College to be a minister uh, in 2000, end of 2004. So it's been, is that 14? 15, 14 years, I think it's been um, here. And so he trained under what was then Caesar, Church of England in South Africa, now Reach, to be a minister. And we moved, we had our first daughter at the end of college there and then moved to a church called The, the Message. Um, and then we had uh, our other child there. And then, no, the next two children, we then adopted a third child. So we have Molly, Zach, and then Jojo little boy who we adopted when he was one year old and then two coming up coming up three years ago I need to get that right what is that? <laughs> that's fine keep going I think it's coming up three years ago I'm losing track of time is three years ago we planted a church called Hope Central Church uh, starting off in our home in Pinelands in Cape Town and now we have moved into a public venue so yeah wow that is a lot in the last what 14 years you said that is a lot as you said, you grew up in the UK. Could you tell us what your life was like and how you came to meet the Lord? You are certainly not going to hear any hard knock stories, I have to say. They talk about white privilege, but I'm kind of privileged on the white scale even. So I was brought up by in a beautiful place called Cornwall in England. And yeah, we had a, a wonderful life, a happy, happy family life, uh, middle of three girls. Well, Lots of arguing, so <laughs> normal stresses. My dad was a surgeon. Uh, he was a churchgoer and expressed a degree of faith, but it were mainly mainly manifested just in going to church on Sundays. But my mum was and still is an atheist. So church, well, Christianity never featured much in our life. 
We started off going to Sunday school and church and things, but we sort of managed to wheedle it down to just Christmas and Easter. <laughs> like so. so many people around yes. the world. So, yeah, very sheltered and spoilt, probably, quite life, but, but wonderful. And one I'm very thankful to God for. Wonderful parents, yeah. And how then did you meet Jesus? How did you first hear the gospel in any <laughs> impacting way? I When I look back before, so it was at university, basically, but I was trying to think, before in my life had I encountered the gospel at all because I I really hadn't in those churches to be honest Mm -hmm. and even in the Christian well so-called Church of England school I went to for a few years and I think I remember one RE religious education teacher when I was in primary school and I, I think she was definitely Christian and I remember something a bit different about her but that's as close as I came wow. to any born-again Christians and so when I went to university uh, look there was a born-again Christian uh, in in the room opposite me in res and she slightly fulfilled a stereotype for me yeah and she, she wore kind of uh she had her brown sandals and was quite sort of hippily dressed and had she literally had a guitar with a rainbow strap <laughs> and she used to sing songs on her own but gather with some friends in her room which used to quite irritate me and but sing these songs and I just I just felt a bit sorry for her she was just uh, one of those people that you kind of hear about the kind of and Jesus hippie freak type thing. Yeah. So that was one encounter, but I didn't get to know her at all. She was just very d- different life to mine. But then I'd made a, a good friend, and she, in fact, she was very sporty. She used to be Britain number one tennis player the year before. Oh wow! We came to university, so very sporty. But she then sort of got targeted by this group called Christians in Sport, and I mean, I just thought they were just this weird cult. It was really weird and it was the kind of closest to a cult I'd got because it was a bunch of really sporty, excellent sporty people um, who were like obsessed with their faith, with Jesus, to the extent at which they didn't go out and get drunk and they wouldn't swear and they talked about no sex before marriage and things like that and it was just very strange and uh, my friend Sarah was kind of engaging with this and getting more and more interested and eventually she became a Christian and I totally thought she'd been like gripped by the cult so I was trying to reason her out of her irrational um, move and to the extent obviously I went home and talked to my family about this cult and said there's this really weird group and they were like oh stay away from them but then I guess she starts inviting me to my first talk which happened to be given some by a well-known evangelist called Rico Tice, who oh, was wow. part of the yes. Christians in Sport cult there. And, yeah, it was the first time I think I ever heard the gospel. And it was strange and weird and slightly compelling, but unnerving. I remember meeting up with him for a coffee afterwards to sort of, not, not straight after the talk, but a week later, and he took me through two ways to live. And so there began, I think, about an, a year and a half journey of reading books, going to the odd talk, going back between people like Rico and others with what they said to my atheist lecturer who was very hostile to Christianity but knew um, Hebrew and ancient history oh, wow. really well. So he kept like telling me this inconsistency or that. So I was... And I was also lectured by Richard Dawkins. So, oh, wow. I, yeah, it was quite an intellectual struggle, you know, wrestling with science. I was studying evolution and DNA, I mean, you know, or uh, genetics and things. So, uh, it was a year and a half of kind of, yeah, intellectual wrestling with, with the reliability of the Bible and some of those questions. But ultimately, 
I think I just, I started to feel more and more cornered by this because I was, I claimed I had my own faith. I had my own God. I used to, I think, really sadly and clichely in my head, I would just call him or it the force, you know. I, yeah. just, I can't even articulate, but I, my own spirituality. And I remember someone saying to me once, what are the kind of, I don't know, morals, but what are the moral standards of your God? Yeah. What is right and wrong for him or it or whatever? And it was just, I said, well, I don't know about that. And this and that. And they said, could, could it be that it's basically going to be anything that you think is right and wrong? Yeah. And then they said, push me on what evidence there was for my religion. And I, I'd never interrogated my own beliefs about spirituality or life. or. And the more I did, I realised I had no evidence, no coherence in it. And more and more what I was reading in the Bible and, and, and books and things seemed coherent. But yeah. it meant a big lifestyle change, a big lifestyle change. And I wasn't <laughs> willing for that. So what became, what started off as intellectual ended up as being, being a kind of submission trust yeah. issue. And then it was in my third year, we had a big mission there and it was headed up by none other than Chapo, John Chapman oh, from wow. Australia. And he, yeah, I'm a remarkable evangelist. And I found myself going along to every night. And then it was, I think, on the third or the fourth night. It was just, he spoke totally me and talked about, some of you think you're sitting on a fence mm. and you think you're okay with God. You're safe there um, because you don't disagree or you don't, you're not rejecting him. So he, you'll be okay, you know. And he basically just said, there is no fence. You either believe or you don't. You're either going to heaven or hell type thing. So it was just, I knew I had to make a choice at that stage. You know, it's when you start shaking and sweating and you know um, I was confronted very much by the Holy Spirit. Pretty defining moment. Yeah. It was and I and I said the prayer at the end of that and I remember we'd gone with a bunch of friends and yeah we'd uh, and we went to the pub afterwards and in fact Rico was in the group and I said to Rico I said the prayer and his response was Sophie that's awesome that means if you get run over by a bus tonight you're going to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> um so that was basically how I came to the Lord and that was nearly 25 years ago and the Lord has kept me going very graciously in Christ. Yeah. That is incredible. That is really incredible. I, I love, absolutely love conversion stories. Mm, well, it's, I think what's encouraging to me and especially when I talk to young people and when we did student work and things is I was one of those students yes. who was like ridiculed, hostile, rejected, laughed, disagreed, and yet this Lord still got me. And yeah. just to encourage people to just persevere. And those are the very people you thank now and for eternity. Um, yeah. So, including the crazy hippie yes, including guitar her. playing girl exactly. that's whose name you probably don't even remember. I don't know, no. But she's still in my head and one day I'll yeah. meet her, yeah. Yeah, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So where to from there? So you've become a Christian, you've finished your studies, I imagine. Uh, so yes, I finished my studies. I was sent straight off to a, a camp. Rika signed me up for a, a scripture union camp where, because I was a student, I was no longer what they called a camper. So he said, you'll be a helper. What he didn't tell me is that I would pay to spend 11 days cleaning toilets and doing wash up. <laughs> but you know, it was amazing. It was very, again, really defining time for me. The talks just <clears throat> sealed, excuse me, sealed, clarified. So, yeah, not only the teaching, uh, but just the meeting fellow Christians, the discipleship that went on. I made friends for life now that are like godparents to my kids oh, wow. in that first camp, you know, and just the challenge to serve as well. I mean, what a brilliant way for a new convert, which we don't often do, is literally get them to get down and physically serve. Because yeah. that's an interesting thing. I think often we want to kind of cotton wool new converts and just gently introduce them yes. to, you know, the, the less glamorous side of 
being a Christian. Yeah. But to throw you in the deep end like I that. I know. And you value that. I know, and especially a kind of spoilt brat like I was. <laughs> but yeah, when, it, when, it, when it's of the Lord, I think, and his purposes, that's clearly what I needed at the time anyway. For some people at different seasons, it, you know, maybe asking a busy mum who's in the middle of serving to to do that might be a different thing but for me as a as a privileged young person I, I needed that straight away I think to realize yeah. that that was what the Christian life was was about yeah so then what church did you get involved with from that point so I was uh, I was in Oxford and I after I graduated I actually stayed on working there for a few months so I was at a church called St Ebbs there for a few months and then I wanted to I was thinking about working in overseas development um, kind of third world urban development I'd done my dissertation on squatter camps on in Manila and it was yeah my thinking that I was going to go overseas so I wanted some overseas experience before I did my master's in um, development and I we had some sort of I had some South African friends at university and they were saying, you can come to South Africa, we've got lots of townships there um, you can work in. And as I, yeah, as I was looking at applications and things, by the Lord's sovereignty, I didn't even apply to them, but I got a, a letter back through a le- through friend of a friend from Youth with a Mission and to come and help with a, a community development course they were starting there. I mean, you're meant to always start with a, what, I can't remember what it's called, discipleship. Uh, discipleship training school. Yes, the DTS, the DTS exactly. Yeah. And for some reason, I was allowed to then go and do this. because Anyway, so I, I ended up in December uh, 1994. So an amazing time to come out, coming out to yes. Cape Town, to Musenberg. And I was there for nine months. So it was a... So I think, just so that people know context, 1994 yes. was a very pivotal year in the history of South Africa because that was yeah. the first year of completely free, fair, democratic elections. Yeah. That's when Nelson Mandela came in as the new president, and that time was... So that was in the April, really and it was time. just an amazing atmosphere. And then, of course, the World, the World Cup rugby was happening year. in uh, 95 and I was a rugby fan I was quite a rugby groupie <laughs> <laughs> and my parents were but but what was more significant not just the rugby then was just the unity that started brewing and happening um, yes. hosting that event and then obviously that crazy story of <laughs> South Africa winning and Mandela being there at the end yes. but so I was at a, a very honeymoon period in South Africa's history but it was also amazing to me. So I ended up going into local township uh, called Freigrund, um, now Capricorn, and working in there with someone and meeting with community leaders. It was it was such a privilege, and it was just so humbling. So I, I ended up doing some sort of one to one Bible reading with a lady called Lillian in her minuscule shack. Wow! And you just think of me from my privilege, yes. and and you know I amazingly last year I reconnected with her through something and oh, wow. it was just a very special moment that she's still going in the Lord and things but a crazy time of, of growth Why one was actually just the right place for me a, a sort of different personality of Christianity some slightly different theology I went to a different type of church than I, I had been introduced to but actually I think some of the people in England were a bit worried about that but I yeah, think the Lord did. helped me grow in some discernment myself there and to search the scriptures and not rely on just what other people were telling me and so when I was at a church that got everyone to stand up and hold hands and pray in tongues it's like I remember reading something about that says we shouldn't all pray in tongues together for you know so it was kind of interrogating things away from home for myself Um, and also there was a big it was the the Toronto blessing was sweeping through at that time and 
There's a lot of sort of falling on the floor, so a lot of manifestations, and to try and filter that in that context with my newfound faith. Um, but I think the Lord really used it to, to grow my trust in his word and love to find, want to find answers in his word um, because he could see all these different types of Christianity and to sort of say, well, what, what is authentic? What is of him? And what can I trust? So, yeah, it was a re- real time of growth. And also my lifestyle, it was it, during that time, there was quite a big shift in things like I stopped going clubbing and reduced alcohol dramatically and... <laughs> Yeah, relationships change. So the Lord used it in an amazing way. Um, and then I went to do my master's in London and joined a big church called All Souls Church there. And that's when I really started being trained in, in all sorts and helping on Christianity Explored and Bible study in one-to-one and okay. things there. Now, where does Chris fit into the, okay, so then, the history? As I was making the decision as to whether to go and work overseas, actually um, Rico, who was a minister there or still is he then encouraged me to go rather to go to something called the Cornhill training course and go and get some bible teaching training and I was really torn but the Lord led me to do that so I did that um, and then ended up going to work for a church called St Helen's Church in London as a student worker and it was an amazing job and Chris um, was overseas was in London working as a chartered accountant and St. Helen's Church is right in the middle of the city. And Chris got involved in the city ministry there. We, we didn't know each other at all at this stage. In fact, I got engaged to someone else oh, wow. on staff and was going to marry him. That broke off. He broke it off. That was very heartbreaking. Another real growth time in my life. And then there was waiting. But then I said, well, paths, Chris and I passed crossed once or twice. And then he started, um, he decided to give up being an accountant and has started as a church apprentice. So then we were kind of on staff together. And then he moved, space. moved into the very near where I was living and picked up a bit of a vibe. So anyway, got married a year and a half later. <laughs> a year and a half later, got married. Yeah, quite a story in between, but yeah. And then so we all, we stayed in London together for just over a year. Uh, finishing off on staff and Chris actually worked as an accountant for a bit as well to earn a bit of money to move over and study and then and then that's when we moved at the end of 94 uh, 94 2004 oh, 10 years after I was there yeah. yeah so that would have been approximately around about when I might have met you maybe a little bit later so we that. then joined we were kind of placed with St James Church in Kenilworth and I think met you very early on when mm. the Wonderful pastor there. Invite they invite everyone round for Christmas or something, wasn't it? I think no, there's amazing hospitality. The Andersons. Oh yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yeah, um, yeah. Lots of hospitable pastors at the time. I'm yes, glad exactly. Sort through who you were talking exactly. about. Exactly, amazing okay. gift. Yeah. And so Chris now is attending George Woodville College. Mm-hmm. What were you doing in that time? So I I started off studying, and the plan was. That, so that by the time we moved over, I was 32, and so we wanted to start a family. And that, so I started off with kind of some of the third year and second year courses that I really wanted to do because I thought having kids was going to be imminent. But that turned out to be a bit more of a struggle than we, we thought it would be. So I ended up actually studying for three years, doing bits and bobs with the courses there, but also helping out just... Yeah, doing some one-to-ones with people, doing some speaking around at churches and things. I'd 
written, while I was working for St Helens, I'd written a book on one-to-one ministry. Yeah. I, was, I was meant to write it, help Rico Tice write it, but he ended up very, very busy with his Christian to Explore ministry and I was doing all the interviews and writing things and ended up basically being me, even though I was not an author or no expertise really, but it was gathering wisdom from lots of people with lots of experience and trying to put it together in a useful mm-hmm. format. So I, I spent quite a bit of time while I was at George Whitfield training people in one-to-ones as well and doing yeah. talks around the place. So that book title is one-to-one. A, yeah, a discipleship handbook, I think. Yeah. That's what it's called. Yeah. <laughs> so first published under your maiden name. Yes, Sophie very Pierce. briefly. Yeah, and Sophie Peace and now Sophie Pierce. Yes, Peace, mm. sorry. That's right. And now Sophie DeWitt. It wasn't the right. best name swap in the world, Peace to DeWitt, but it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's true, especially yeah. in the South African context as well. <laughs> that's funny. So you were at Bible College. You ended up studying for three years. What kind of ministry were you involved in, in addition to the one-to-one? Were you involved at the church as well? Yes, yeah, so Chris and I were both we were co-leading a bible study which was set up to train leaders for bible studies and so we had a sort of we were helped with a five-year kind of plan to set up small groups in the church and so for the three years we were there we were focused on training up a bunch of leaders who could then train others but in year two those leaders did train up and we used to sit in on feedback and kind of have a leader's bible study and things and then just watch watch that grow which was really exciting so yeah that was mainly what I was involved with yeah yeah, and remember that time we were. You were that, it was, and, and was you great. you were amazing. I think. Well, we can come back to the comparison thing, but I do remember you being able to get there for the early leaders' Bible study. But I think you were pregnant with number three at that stage. Yes. Was it number four? I can't. Three. It was number so, three. Yeah. So you had two young kids, and you were pregnant, <laughs> and you were involved in in leading. And it it is amazing because we do find a lot of people babies and kids do knock them out, yeah, and that's totally yeah. understandable. But for some people, it is possible. But anyway, you. you uh, <laughs> You were quite remarkable, but it was a, funny enough, it was a time that season at college when I was struggling quite a lot yes. with, com, with comparison. I don't know if you want me to talk about. Yeah, go for it. Comparison is something that I struggled with generally as middle of three girls, probably. Yes. Growing up with Christian framework, uh, it was just, yeah, I mean, normal things, body image struggles, this and that. But then I hit a couple of health problems in my teenage yes. years that had knock-on effects, um, where I struggled with energy levels. So my struggle with seeing others do so much ministry, that was that was hard, you know, when they could study, have have children, do ministry, all of these things. And I was struggling just to keep up with what I felt was fairly limited ministry with my energy levels, but also was struggling with, with infertility at that point and feeling older. I mean, we ended up having our first child at 35, but it was just feeling, realising when I was at college that I said I believed all these things about God being sovereign, God being good, and yet I was beginning to get crippled by not just like worldly comparisons that I had as a non-Christian, but even now ones over my the quality of my faith or my ministry or whatever. Yeah. And then and then obviously with the infertility. So it was at that point I, I started a quest to try. Well, I first looked for a book on it. I said, well, let me find something to read on this because this is not good, I don't think, inconsistent. Yeah. And couldn't really find anything on it. So at that point, it was just, I'm going to try and look through the scriptures and work out why I keep doing this and why I'm not fixing it or or growing out of it and why. Yeah, that was really where that was birthed or conceived, that book. And that book is called Compared to Her. Mm -hmm. And 
it has been incredibly helpful, I think, for many, many people. Mm, I hope so. Yeah, I've read it and enjoyed it. And it came at a time, for me, what I found quite interesting about that book is because you didn't just pursue problems with comparison from somebody who was struggling with comparing down, but you also looked at the fact that many many times we also compare up. Or, um, I sorry, think you mean the other way around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. People yeah. compare up. Yes, and, and so feel envious and jealous exactly. and inadequate, yeah. yeah. So, that, so I think we often think that. We yeah. think it's it's that comparison problem as a Christian is that yes. we look at our own circumstances and we feel it's not fair, so-and-so is doing better mm. in this area, that area, whatever it may be. But actually the sin also lies in the comparing mm. um, down, look how good I am compared mm. to so-and-so. And, and I think I, we often do that as a compensating for yes. for the, the looking up and we want to find ways of gaining ground and going, well, at least I'm better at this yes. or, I, you know, you know, whatever it is, I have more of this. And, so we had yeah. a lot of discussions around that I remember at the time mm. and I found it really good to think through these things a lot more deeply and then the more you scratch the surface of that the more you realize just how deep yes the sin in comparison goes and mm. how much we do it even unconsciously mm. that's what ended up i mean it's a very long mouthful and probably not necessarily the helpfulest title but calling it compulsive comparison syndrome but it was this idea of there's that there is a compulsion that, that when i was just trying to tell myself to stop it it's not good it would still there was something within me driving me to keep doing it and i realized that's what I had to get to is understand what that very deep internal drive to do it was and uh, now how things going (laughs) (laughs) oh wow I mean I literally sometimes have to pick up my book and and read it again and just remind myself of those truths it goes through phases but it what has been so helpful with that journey is I identifying those roots and that pathway of where it starts and so therefore to be able to go back to the origins far quicker and get myself down the right path again which is really just understanding my what is my lack of Christ-centeredness that's what it boils down to it really happens when I haven't got Christ at the center and I've not got his values his worldview what he says is important in life what he's working at in the world Um, those spiritual blessings those hidden blessings that the world doesn't see that are, that are true ones that really give us satisfaction significance and security so I think although it still does get triggered it's a quicker path of out of there and of healing and I try and use it as a positive opportunity to recenter myself on yeah. on Christ rather than get bogged down with it and to kind of I, I re- like that I really yeah. like that spin on it because actually it's so easy to be okay and, mm. and not recognize our sin but when we recognize our sin and it immediately turns us back to christ mm. that's actually a wonderful blessing in it's a bit of, of a itself. reboot yeah. yeah just got some viruses in the system that you need to <laughs> clean up <laughs> clean up exactly and yeah. but it just reminds us again and again and again that we can't save ourselves no we need jesus that no. even when we try even when we recognize what the sin is mm. we still do it there we do yeah and it just it just makes you long i guess that's why the bible finishes coming Come, Lord Jesus, come. Yes. You long for that wholeness where everything we're going to be, be who we're meant to be with Christ at the centre and not have that struggle, hey? Yeah. But to ready ourselves for it now and keep that future reality framing things now, not get sucked into everything. Yeah. Absolutely. So you wrote compared to her, what year was that? Well, what happened is, I'm just trying to think the timing. As I'd done the research and thinking, I wasn't thinking about a book at all at that stage. It was just something that was on my horizon uh, that I actually, I'm trying to think what year it was. I think it was about 2008 or nine or no, maybe a bit later. I that I was a bit later. Maybe, yes, actually, no, it was on my son's first birthday. So 2010 uh, that I gave a conference because I remember feeling rather guilty that I was away 
for, for my son's first birthday. Well, at the end of the day, he's too young to remember. But I was in Durban speaking of the women's convention um, on comparison. They said I could pick the topic. So I said, well, I think I'd better pick this and really yes. consolidate it. And, and after that, a lot of people were responding um, very positively and said, you should write a book on that sort of thing. So I'd actually had the Good Book Company had approached me before about republishing the one-to-one book that was out of print. But just before they got to do that, it went back in print. So that didn't happen. But they did. I did have a contact with them. Um, and so I then basically wrote to them and said, I've got a bit of a book idea. I don't know what you think. And they responded very positively, actually. I think the Lord just opened the door there. I was given a very brilliant but very brutal editor yes. <laughs> to help me on the way. And all my ramblings, he, he tightened up into a quite a concise, concise book that got published. When was that? I 2012. Don't know. 2012. There we go. There we go. I just yeah. snuck a peek in, yeah. in the book. <laughs> My memory's not that great. No. Yeah, so he cut it down by half, I think. He did. He did, yeah. I mean, there were, we, we scrapped over some bits. He was trying to cut out. I think what he did was I had, you know, with I guess with the theological training and my brain, I had a lot of theological justification for some of the ideas I was coming up with. And I wanted to prove, and I think possibly to some peers in ministry, that yeah. that I had done lots of biblical theological thinking on, on these ideas. <laughs> and, and it wasn't just sort of plucked out. And I think he very rightly identified that that was not really yeah helpful or is not the target audience and it was just going to put people off and be mm. too jargony so he helped me really sort of strip it down and yeah make it more accessible and yeah. and and actually he helped me make it he's an evangelist by heart and training and a, and a youth a youth pastor and he tried to make sure it was also accessible to non-christians yes. so that you could give it to a non-christian friend and make them think about because the assumption is in the book and i think is fair actually that everyone does it and to get them to think themselves about why and yeah. what their logic is and, and introduce them to Christ that way. And actually, I've had some amazing stories and encouragements of people coming to Christ through, the, you know, not, I don't know whether necessarily directly through the book, but through the conversations and the ministry that's happened in, as a result. So oh, Those are the best. Hearing, yeah, hearing those remarkable. stories from something that, that you've had influence in or a part in, to know that you're yeah. part of somebody's story in that way is such a wonderful gift. Yeah, it's a, it's, it is a huge privilege. Now those are the humbling. things that make me totally you've emotional. had that through your book have you yeah, I'm sure yeah amazing uh, once just one story Seekers. I know of, but yeah it's, it's a very wonderful book as well so compared to her mm. about 2012 now a lot has happened in your life in the last five six seven years yes in that time you also adopted mm-hmm. maybe tell us a little bit about your children and because you did struggle you've mentioned you touched on it how you yes. struggled with infertility and, and um well so I mean we took a few months and then we we you know I felt pregnant but then I had a miscarriage I only found out at the first scan that the baby had died and things so that was hard and then it took a while after that I think over a year look I know some people's struggles are for years and years and it never happened so it's you know relatively it really wasn't that but I guess for anyone in in that moment those those things are are hard but yes we're very blessed with little Molly uh, was born and then you know God graciously gave us a little boy so we had this perfect boy and girl so we're done now (laughs) you know I was 36, 37 so I'm like definitely uh, we're, we're done with our family but then we just kept hearing more and more talks on the, just the need in the, this country uh, I don't know the stats of something like two million orphans I don't think all of them are adoptable but just I th- 
I think it's got one of the largest orphan problems in the world, um, a lot of it from HIV AIDS, but all sorts of factors. So we, there was a lot of challenge in churches and at Bible college at the time, and it just kept cropping up about adopting. But we felt we had our excuses with, I guess, my energy and being older and money. We just thought, no, you know, that's not for us. Um, but then some friends of ours adopted. They, they had a boy, then a girl, and then they adopted it. They had far less money than we did. <laughs> so that excuse was gone. Yeah, just just becoming closer quarters to it. At the, so the law basically started stirring me. A kind of the need stirred into a wow, maybe um, we've got a home and we could make a difference in a child's life. And that in me turned to a bit of maybe a third child would be nice. So more positive, not just a kind of reactionary yes. one. But my husband was pretty adamant not. He just said, we don't have the capacity. We were stretched then and we're stretched now. And I think I've just accepted in life. We're just, I think everyone is, but we've just, we'll always feel stretched. But at that time, we just thought there's no way. Well, he thought there's no way we can do this. I left it and just prayed and just trusted the Lord with it and said, if if this is of you, mm. then you're going to have to change my husband's heart. Because also there's no way I wanted to pressure my husband into it. Yes. Because then we could have a situation where we said, this was your decision. You cope yeah, with it. That's no, a lifelong. It's a huge thing. And it would have an yeah. impact on your child exactly. and your relationships. It's, yeah. No. <laughs> so I knew it had to be that he had to come round positively. So I left it and nothing was spoken of it for, for a good few months, actually. And then, and then we had an anniversary supper together. I remember, and he put his hand on mine and said, I've got something to tell you. And it was one of those kind of, ooh, oh, wow, what, will this sound serious? Yeah. <laughs> and he said, I think we should adopt. And uh, it was it was out of the blue, and I felt a complete mixture of emotions. Part of it really excited, but part of it terrified. Because <laughs> I was like, okay. At this point in the conversation, Sophie and I speak at length about adoption. It is a complex, layered subject and often misunderstood. We've decided not to publish that part of the conversation as we feel it's better addressed in a more intentional format. But I have decided to share the tail end of the discussion around adoption as Sophie speaks about identity. I think what we've come to conclusion is to try and help Joe and all of the kids to see that they have three layers of identity. So their first layer is that they are made in God's image, and that if they trust in Christ, they're his, you know, they're his redeemed child. And as a, so that being a child of God is their core identity, and as they relate to Him, their second identity that God has given them is that they're a David. They're part of our family, and part of uh, He placed them in our family with us as their parents and the extended family in our lives. But that the third layer, especially especially for Jojo, is that he is an adopted Zulu boy in South Africa in a transracial adoption. And that needs to be owned as part of his story and embraced, that God is sovereign over that, and to give him the freedom to explore that. And so he is a shark supporter, <laughs> deliberately, because he feels an affinity with Durban. And that, that kind of, to yeah, give him, and I guess as he gets older, that scope to, to search and embrace that part of his identity whilst keeping those the stability of those other two, the yes. core ones, yeah. I really admire that intentionality because I think sometimes maybe people, I, I mean, I don't know, I've never been in your situation, but I can imagine the temptation might be to put your head in the sand and... Or just emphasize the second. Oh, exactly. Yeah, and not explore the, second, yeah. the, the harsher realities of, yeah. of the whole experience, but to actually face them face on and embrace them yeah. and be intentional about... About that, I think that's well. I think that's us learning from other people along the way okay. and their their difficult stories. So I think we've been encouraged, and I think it's yeah. been very helpful to just release that and trust in God's sovereignty yes. over that for him as well, so that he's not scared of that part of his identity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
That's real facing fear kind of stuff. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and to just also just keep grounding him in that that God, he's God's. Yes. He's made by God. God knew his story in advance. And yeah. it does make me wonder how people who don't have that first layer exactly. of identity do it. Yeah. Well, I guess you keep having to stress the second, but the yes. trouble is, is even the second layer uh, is imperfect. Totally. You imperfect. know, we can't we can't trust in that completely as a even as yeah. biological exactly family. I mean, that's, inconsistent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, being mm. in a family and knowing my imperfections and mm. my family's exactly. imperfections. And sometimes I look at these kids of my own and I say yes. to myself and sometimes to them, <laughs> well, God does know what he's doing if he puts you with us because we're, you know, we're so flawed. Yeah, yeah. And it does, we have to point back to yeah. God. And even I think kids can, they pick up on our own ebbs and flows of our emotions for them, yeah. biological or adopted, uh, in terms of sometimes we look at them with adoring, you know, you're the light of my life eyes, and sometimes we look at them with absolute exasperation. Mm. And so if you're relying on the love of your parents as, as your core identity, that's going to go up and down. Yeah, well. And <laughs> um, that can really rock you. Yes, exactly. Even in a fairly stable family. Yeah, exactly, even in, um, but let alone when you're brought in by adoption, I think. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah. Now, so adoption has been a big part of your story, obviously, but many other things have been happening. <laughs> you, you, have, you guys have started a church and a school. Yes. What brought you to do such enormous and exhausting things? Oh, gosh. I, yes. Again, I have to struggle with comparison. I don't feel enormous. I, I, I probably read too many big missionary biographies and things, or they're probably very good for me because I sit there and go, you know, this is... Uh, it's those missionaries who, you know, leave their whole family and go on six-week mm. boat trips. And, you know, that for me is, is so they huge. They pack their coffins because exactly. they expect to die Exactly. There. And then they see their children die of this. Or, you know. So that, that is the big category. And also, we've done it in teams. It's not just Chris and I pioneering. And, and that has made the most enormous difference. Well, especially when it's come to the school. So the school was first. And then the church was actually partly in response to the school to, you know, be an outreach and link opportunity opportunity you know with the school families but the school yeah the school wouldn't still exist if it weren't for the other couple that we planted what we planted we launched it we established it with and well well it's God ultimately but being in a team where I look as an adult I've kind of learned I have ADD Um, (laughs) very much so it explains a lot in my life but I'm not I'm not a complete finisher and God in God's sovereignty this the team that we ended up had so many complementary gifts it's been an amazing thing and, and growth thing for me to be part of being alongside people who persevere through struggles where yeah. I would have given up but you so you're not a complete finisher no but you clearly are a visionary and a starter so what <laughs> got you to decide <laughs> yes, funny school enough, to... the school was my idea so you have hit the nail on the head that God, I have to learn that that is my my gift is is more an ideas person yeah. and I do need to be part of a team or a partnership that will help me a dear friend Judy, who I met in a mum's group when our her her number one was a little girl two months older than my number one. We it it was kind of love at first sight as a friendship in yes. terms of well we were both the same age when we had our number ones, but mostly we just used to chat for hours about theology, the Bible, ministry, you no know, ecclesiology. Just oh, you know, it was wonderful to have someone who was thinking and reading in the same sort of way. And inevitably, when it came school time, so she they had 
um, their number one and number two at the same time. They weren't called to adopt or have a number three as we were. But yeah, as we were thinking about schools, Judy had read a book called For the Children's Sake by Susan Schaefer McCauley. I yeah. know you know it well. <laughs> and it was just explaining the educational philosophy of someone called Charlotte Mason. But it's actually in the book itself in, in what Susan says about it is that it's not it's what it's what Charlotte Mason articulated was something that actually is so instinctively true and right as Christians. She just managed to I guess put together so coherently this Christian educational philosophy that treated children as whole persons and she talked about the mind being an organ that needed to be nourished with with the banquet of food, with a rich kind of spread, with nourishing food, and that food she called living ideas. And that just it just resonated with me so much because I mean I I'd had I, in inverted commas a really good education. I'd done well educationally, but mine was definitely a you know just being filled up with facts that I regurgitate for exams that I really can't like remember. Dry. Yeah, I, I really am not well. I've, I'm still not well read, but I was yeah. When we were thinking about this, I, I was intimidated by the arts. I wasn't exposed to them much. And so I, I realised, I went, as we talked about this and I started reading and I started realising what an uneducated person I was and what I missed out on, um, yeah. even though I'd done well academically, well, how narrow that was. And started picturing something very different for my kids and going, wow, that'd be amazing. But how on earth do you do that? And most people seem to do it through homeschooling, as you have. But mm. I think with my... With my ADD, with my energy, with I, my disorganisation, the idea of homeschooling just terrified me. I, I presumed, and probably rightly, that I'd ended up doing more harm than good. My my number two has ADHD, which I didn't know at the time, but I mean, I was looking at this three-year-old at the time who was like <laughs> more than a handful, let us just say. So my two boys count for two kids each, I've learned. You know? um, <laughs> so you have five kids. Yeah, basically, because, uh, yeah, they're a handful. So the idea of trying to homeschool Molly whilst dealing with these two toddler boys was just, you know... Very intimidating. Beyond, beyond, yeah. yeah. Um, I was engaging with it, but um, but then uh, what happened was, while she was reading that and we were discussing, there was a lady in our church who was turning around a Christian school, local Christian school, to become a Charlotte Mason school. And she, we talked a lot with her and very compelling. And so we were moving towards that. But practicalities in our life meant that church was in one suburb, suburb, we were living in another. And that school was in a completely different one that was going to involve an hour round commute in the mornings. But also we just kind of thought of the community of people we were meeting of the kids' friends, partly with playdates and things, but also in terms of missionally and evangelistically, we were like going to be separated. We were like, do we move near the church? Would we move near the school? But um, we felt quite embedded in our community and God had started giving us a real heart and we've got to know all our neighbours. We started doing an annual carol service in in a community. So we had these... starting to feel quite sort of torn as to where we we felt we needed to consolidate not spread out even further so it wasn't we were basically choosing Judy and I um, at the time discussing well our families between the local good government schools you know everyone they were really good government schools that people Mm. moved to our neighborhood for and homeschooling and this other school and just so torn Um, at the end of May that year I just said to Judy uh, we could start our own Charlotte Mason school in our neighbourhood. <laughs> and the back, the background to that being that I had had some friends in England at our church there who had started a Christian school a couple of years before, which at the time I didn't get at all, to be honest, why mm. they were doing it. I had a different view of how, you know, we just thought, you know, our kids can be our missionary workers in school and we'll train them up and everything. So they had started that. And then another friend had recently started a school in Mitchell's Plain and he thought starting a primary school was the biggest way 
he could impact that poor community for the gospel because you have them for years, you've got mm. this holistic approach, you're training the whole child. Anyway, so the idea of starting a school wasn't completely random, but it was a wild suggestion that Judy sort of said, gosh, that would be nice, wouldn't it? So we went home to our, our husbands, totally assuming that both our husbands would go, yes, right, loves, you know, um, <laughs> n- n- I don't think so. But weirdly enough, they both said, yeah, let's talk about it. <laughs> so it is a very long story with lots of unbelievable twists and turns that absolutely prove it was the Lord's idea because they are, you know, the obstacle. So that was end of May, which in South Africa is when everybody is finally settling on places. They've heard, they're hearing back from schools and they're replying for school places. So they know for the next so year everyone knows. So going. you can't advertise a new school at that stage, yeah. except having had, had this weekend away together where we decided on a name. That weekend we booked a domain name and everything graceprimary.org and all that things we apply to the western cape education department we did we did the most ridiculous amount on that weekend um in july and we then sent out a flyer in our neighborhood it was absolutely comically embarrassing really just saying a group of parents are thinking about starting a new school <laughs> anyway but in January the next year, so we're talking six, seven months later, we had 15 children in school uniform uh, with our logo on it, with an amazingly qualified Christian teacher, with a with an administrator and assistant in a school hall with an amazing curriculum and starting our school. So, Eight months later, that's just crazy. No, six, six and a half. Six, six yeah, and a half it was crazy. And, and with permission with the Western Education, Western Cape Education Department, even though we didn't have the required 20, we somehow got them to give us permission to be registered. Oh, I didn't realise you had to have a minimum of 20. Yeah, I know. That's clearly God's hand because the Western Cape it Education was, Department no, is notoriously was, difficult it, to deal yeah, with. It was. It really, really was um, clearly God's hand. But what happened in the Meanwhile, is that our flyers got out to a couple of local, so we had sent it to some a big, I don't know what they are, old mutual. They employ thousands right on the edge of Pinelands. And a couple of other businesses, our flyers got out, I think, through the preschools and some preschools in the area. And we ended up having people applying who couldn't get in our local government schools because of zoning, but who where they lived in less privileged areas, the schools are really bad. You know, some of them, when we have kids from neighbours that Austra- Australian listeners wouldn't know, but are, are really rough, where the classes of 45 to 60, where the gangs start operating in primary school, where they're very under-resourced. And mm. Kids are coming to school having not had meals. Exactly. And slipped in dodgy places. And, so, the, yeah. I mean, South Africa ranks pretty much bottom or bottom three in the world for its educational outcomes, and that's mainly the rural and, the, and those underprivileged areas that are, you know, under-resourced. And so they are desperate to give their kids a better education and they and what we've learned over the past five years is that these families will give a far higher proportion of their disposable income than any of our white privileged well I don't know just white but more privileged middle class people will do people say oh education is so expensive and you're like you're giving a small proportion of your these guys will give a huge proportion over moving house over buying a car or holidays or anything like that they'll give it to their kids to have the best possible chance and it's so humbling and so at first we found that a bit unnerving because we had kids coming from all over who we just different sorts of families and different cultures mixing and it was very diverse and we weren't sure how this was going to pan out but that has come to be part of who we are and that we have this genuine diversity in the school and that it's offering some local kids but a whole load of other kids from all different circumstances the most amazing education and we are so humbled that they 
pay their fees and keep the school running. And wow. it's been wonderful. And, and, our, and all the kids benefit from that diversity. Yeah. We're not a privileged enclave at all. So five how many years, years now has Grace Primary Two years ago, it was our five-year birthday. Wow. Two, two, sorry, two, just two, two, two days ago. Two days two ago. Two days ago, sorry. Uh, yeah, it was our five-year birthday. So wow. there's now, I think, just under 100 children in the school. So the first class was a joint grade one and two. Um, so the, that class is now grade six and seven. And we're in the first half of our building, although now we've had to overflow back into the hall we started in. Uh, we're trying to raise funds to build the second half. So that's on the horizon for this, this year, to try and build the second half of our okay. building to accommodate everyone and have rooms for staff meeting, for staff and for music and art and things okay. like that. Yeah. And plans for a high school? No. We get asked that very frequently and wonderfully by most of the parents at school, um, which is very encouraging. But no, all, all the founders are like a very adamant no. We said the caveat w was if somebody gives us a nice big piece of land and like six, ten, eight million money. rand, then we will take that as a sign from the law. Because, you know, finding finding a venue is a huge struggle and, yes. and the money obviously is is always a big struggle so no so we're, we're busy engaging with the school question all over again for high school oh yeah. my goodness <laughs> and a church you spoke about the, your new hope what's the name of your hope, tra uh, hope. hope sorry hope training course was what my husband um started running but we hope hope central church hope central is church. the name uh, yeah so we have hope training course that runs in a township that chris runs but hope central church that started off in our home for about 21 months we were meeting here and then we've now we we found only in our after pushing for about 11 different morning venues and not finding we started meeting at five o'clock in a in a local church but Just as we were about to lose one of our core families who have a young baby who it just wasn't working out for, and they were going to go back to the kind of mother, the plant, the planting church because it just wasn't fitting in. It was they were having struggles with with the baby and the timing. But just before Christmas, we have managed to we had a link uh, for someone that linked us up with a school that had originally say no um, with the headmaster instead of someone in administration and. The Edmund Master has now said we can meet there on oh, wow. on Sunday mornings. Fabulous. So uh, it's a local is, school. It's it's actually on the edge of Pinelands. It's a technical academy. And it's amazing because that was on our heart initially because we, we wanted to be on the edge to be able to have, again, that diversity and mm. actually nearer um, transport links. So it's quite near the old mutual station. And to be able to not just be a Pinelands enclave, but we our suburb actually has quite a lot of uh, less privileged areas right around it and yes. so yeah hopefully that will facilitate that mission or vision yeah that's fabulous wow sophie <laughs> for somebody who didn't want to homeschool because you're worried about how church near school that's quite a lot on your plate i have sometimes wondered about that thinking it probably would have been easier to homeschool in some ways but it, that just obviously wasn't god's plan yeah. and actually i don't know whether it would have been i have to say i look at homeschoolers and there's a, there's a different intensity about it and i'm not teaching but it just you just realize it is a case of listening to the lord and, and and trusting him and stepping out in faith and he gives you yeah your your particular path to tread and not comparing because it's yes. i mean it's definitely done that comparison if we could have just spent a lot less money and a lot easier rise sending them to the local government school and really discipling them and supplementing the education with good literature but again that, that obviously wasn't the lord's plan and yeah. I, i don't regret it at all it's been tough times but it is amazing seeing our kids just love school and you know love they're, they're curious they love learning and that's that's, that's all we fabulous. can ask for yeah that's really good I'm very grateful to god yeah what's keeping you going right now well i think 
obviously the normal graces of God in terms of regular word input, you know, personally, uh, scripture reading and sermons, book reading, through fellowship. My husband is a great encourager, he really is. He knows me well and, yeah, he spurs me on well. And good friends and just church support, so I'm very privileged in that area. Prayer, which is never... As, as much I mean I think I've learned to have a sort of close of a reasonably intimate daily sporadic ADD <laughs> kind of version of with the Lord but what he's really convicting me at the moment is is where I'm really falling short is intercessions and I think that's I'm not methodical and I, I you know the amount of prayer lists I write I, I am finding the prayer mate app on my phone really helpful for that I just need to be better at updating it but What's, is, is the app called prayer it's mate? called the prayer mate and okay. then it's it's has it's brilliant it just has all the options for for you you can choose things in terms of how much you choose in terms of a devotional you have lots of options for that input but then you have different categories and and you have like suggested prayer options like seven things to pray for your husband or whatever so you can choose from that or your kids or your church family but then you can set up your own categories like I will say under Hope Central Church, I can say, you know, the home group or, you know, ladies' names or whatever. Or for the school, I can say teachers or children. Okay, so so you, really you set focused. up it. And then what it does is you can choose how often they turn up on your list. And it's, it gives you a rotation every morning. And it, okay. and it comes, you know, you go on it and it says, here's what you're going to pray for. Here's the topics. And, and that I found that really helpful for me, who's not good at being methodical. It just yes. does that work for me if I, if I update it well. That's an app I'm going to go download it is, after. I, this conversation yeah I, my wrestling with this always is what I try and do is try and do sometimes too much and too many names and things yeah. and then I don't yeah it's that constant balance between trying to do something regularly and well and then mm. trying to stretch out and pray for more people or pray for more needs that come mm. up and things so anyway that's that's an area I'm trying to work on at the moment and you're finding um, the app helpful I am finding the app helpful yeah yes. I do find that I mean I also have Solid Joys by um, John Piper it's a Desiring God app and that you know without fail that's a, not a long devotion I do I am trying to read the bible and going through I'm, at the moment I'm going through Isaiah and things but for those days where it's like I just need to hear your word and set me off for the day then mm-hmm. something like Solid Joys is, is a brilliant app and then really I think it's been some of those challenges some of those obstacles we've we've hit yeah whether it's been with our kids but particularly with with the school and with the church where I guess everyone, the Lord puts us all through tests and trials and there are all different sorts. But for me, who's someone that does struggle, there's a South African word, Afrikaans word that I've, I've come to really love called fasbate, uh-huh. which is kind of bite down, yeah. um, literally, kind of yeah. bite hard, is it? Yeah, bite. like hold fast hold would fast. be the Scottish version, yeah. I guess. Or I think the Americans is having grit yes. or something like that. Yeah. But that's not something I grew up having or trained in or having my personality. I I think in terms of what's keeping me going and growing is is learning of the Lord's faithfulness through obstacles and to cling on to that and to really claim his word like we found the Psalms have been so helpful through through the school stuff because I've never really to be honest had like direct Christian opposition in that way that it talks about but we've had some real hostile opponents in the neighbours to the school which have slandered us on Facebook and contacted authorities and they've just put us through the mill and suddenly some of those psalms about trusting God and God taking care of enemies I mean I know they're not literally enemies so so it's actually been in some of those obstacles opposition struggles that I've 
I've come to treasure some of those texts and scriptures in, in a new way. And I've, yeah. I think I've grown. That's probably the area I've grown most in in the past few years is resilience. Uh, I've got a long way to go. But yeah, lots of help needed. Thank you, Lord, for those obstacles because mm. it grows you. Yes, it's the gym workout, isn't it? It's yes. stretching those faith muscle, muscles. It really is. And um, yeah, it's hard, but it's good. Sophie, it has been great chatting to you. I'm just so thankful for hearing how God's hand has been on in your life and the things he's done and how he's grown you. And I pray that this time that we've had together will be really positive for people listening. and They might be encouraged by it as well. Thanks, Taryn. It's been great. I want to thank you. You, you might not know how much of a part you played in, in the school as well really? because we had lots of chats about homeschooling and charlotte mason so you never know those conversations you have with people the seeds that are the planted yeah. and what help you're going to be to someone's story and in fact therefore to other people's story yes. along the way the ripple effect the ripple effects of it. just of, of sharing from our hearts so I, I do hope and pray that something that i've said will be helpful to someone um, but it's the lord's yeah. kindness and goodness and story awesome thank you thank you We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Lydia Project. We would love you to share this episode with others, whether that be by word of mouth, social media, or leaving a review on iTunes. You can find us on most platforms using the handle at TLPCWCW. Special thanks goes to our platform host, The Gospel Coalition Australia. Music is Wholesome 7 by Dave Depper, and voiceover is by me, Jennifer Mary. Hey guys, Tori here. Thanks for listening to that latest episode. I hope you enjoyed it and found it really encouraging and challenging. I just want to spend a couple of moments telling you about Grow Conference. This year, of course, conferences aren't happening because of COVID-19, but Grow Conference, which is a conference held for women in Brisbane every year, is finding new ways to reach out and encourage women. And what they're doing is hosting a little podcast series that's going to go for a couple of months and it's called Grow Chats 2020. You can search for it in your podcast listening app or you can have a look at the show notes to this episode. We'll also include a link to the website and to the podcast. It's called Grow Chats 2020 and basically what it is is like a a little mini podcast to encourage people in light of the fact that the conference couldn't happen this year. So every Saturday from May 23rd to September the 5th, there's going to be short interviews with local Brisbane Christian women. There'll be chats about a chapter of the Bible. There'll be songs, prayers, books, and chats about life in Christ. The idea is to keep encouraging each other to keep growing and to keep fixing our thoughts on Jesus. So it's really in line with what we do at the Lydia Project. And of course, if you were at Grow a couple of years ago, that's where we launched the Lydia Project. So there's a a great connection there. And if you love listening to the Lydia Project, we would love you to head over and subscribe to this podcast and have a listen to it too. All right, take care. Bye. Bye.